Hope you're well this morning. It's good to see you, church, and to be together today. Uh, early on in uh, in our parenting uh, journey, when our, our youngest or when our oldest son was young, when he was in a, two or three years old, uh, we we had you know uh, something that kept happening. He kept getting up really early and coming into our room, you know, at five a.m. at five thirty, uh, long before the sun had come up. And, uh, and after a little while of this, um, you know, it, we, we were like, okay, something has to change. What, what's what we going to do here? Uh, and I know now they have those little, you know, stuffed animals that are like turn like colors when they're, when they, it's time for them to get up. Um, but back in the old days, they didn't have that kind of technology. Uh, and so we, we got an alarm clock. Uh, for him, and just a, a classic alarm clock put in his room, and we taught him the numbers seven zero zero, right? Seven zero zero. When the clock says seven zero zero, you can come down, um, and and uh, and it worked. He started. He started to. Uh, he started to come down uh, right at seven o'clock every single morning. He would come out of his room, uh, and and. Uh, I say that to say, if, if you don't know what time it is, right, often you have to know what time it is in order to know what to do, how to respond, what the, the proper uh, response and proper thing to do is. And today, Jesus uh, is going to accuse the crowds and bring an a, 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 a accusation to the people that they don't understand what time it is. They're not responding properly because they haven't understood what time it is. Um, so let's pray, uh, and then we'll, we'll jump right into to the text this morning. I want to give you a moment just to pray uh, in your seat. I just ask God to open your heart to whatever he wants you to say, or he wants to say to you this morning through his word. Would you also pray for me that I would be faithful to God's word and I would be helpful to you? Father, here we are again uh, this morning before you. I thank you for, for, um, thank you for this gift that we get to uh, come together, we get to be together as a church family, we get to, to sit under your word. I get to worship and praise you. Lord, we are, we are dependent. We are needy. Um, we, we need you to speak to us. We need you to come uh, in power. We need you to pour out your spirit upon us. We, we need you to, uh, to reveal to us what, what you want to say and, and open our hearts to it. So please come. Please speak to us by your spirit and through your word. And we ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Three questions today. Uh, what time is it? What time is it? Austin Powers told me after the service, he's, every, every time I said that, he thought, tool time. <laughs> so that's, that's good. Uh, what, what time is it? Uh, what is the fitting response? What's the fitting response? And how much uh, time do we need? What time is it? What's the fitting response? And how much time do we need? First, what time is it? What time is it? He's been talking about, um, Jesus has been talking about God's judgment, hasn't he? Last week, if you remember last week, uh, he, you know, he said, I'm gonna come at a time you don't expect. Be ready for uh, your master's return. Be doing your job. How are you gonna prepare? I can bring fire on the earth. He's talking about judgment that he came to inaugurate. 
Um, and, and, and even judgment that would, that would uh, divide families, right? That, that would start, start uh, dividing household one against another, two against three, three against two. Um, and, and, and so, in, and then in, in verse 54, he turns to the crowd with this critique about this, right? He continues this discussion. Um, and, and it's a critique about the weather, right? You see a cloud rising in the west. Right away, you say a storm's coming, and so it does. Right? He, he's saying you recognize the regular weather patterns and how to, to uh, uh, predict what's gonna happen based on some signs that you're seeing in the sky. Uh, but, but and the, and the critique is, verse 56, you, you, don't, you know how to interpret the appearance of the earth and the sky, but you, why don't you know how to interpret this present time? Right? You don't know what time it is. Right? They're missing it. They're missing the work of God. They're missing the message of God. They're missing the Son of God himself, the Messiah, the one they've been waiting for. They're missing. He's, he's there. He's speaking to them. And they're missing it. And, and many, many, you know, we have to remember in the ministry of Jesus, many thousands of people are flocking to him. They're all interested to see his signs and wonders, interested to hear his teaching, interested to be healed of their diseases. Um, but, but, you know, noticeably, uh, when, when Jesus uh, dies and rises from the dead, ascends to heaven, uh, he doesn't leave thousands of followers behind. He leaves 120, right, in Acts to get together. Right, so, so most people, most of the crowd, most of these, the crowds that come to see him, they don't, they're not following, they don't understand who he is. They don't really see. They don't really understand because if they knew who he was and what time it was, they would be responding differently. They'd be responding differently. Verse 57, why don't you judge for yourselves what's right? As you're going to your adversary, with your adversary to the ruler, make an effort to just settle with him on the way. Then he won't drag you before the judge. The judge hand you over to the bailiff and the bailiff throw you in prison. I tell you, you will never get out of there until you've paid the last penny. There should be, what does this story mean? There should be an urgency to responding to God. There should be an urgency. And not only because it's just the right thing to do, uh, but because of, but even self-interest-wise, right? Like it's saying, like, hey, you want to settle the lawsuit before you go to trial, because who knows what is going to happen? You might get thrown into jail. Like, settle if you can if you can settle it, do that. Are you saying if you understood who I am and the message of God, you would be clamoring to get right with Him right now? Now we might ask, uh, what, what time is it for us? Right, what, what time is it for us? We're clearly not in the crowd 2,000 years ago listening to uh, Jesus. Uh, but, but we are, and we are in a crowd listening to the words of Jesus, right, who is alive, his living and active word. So what, where are we? Where are we in history? What time is it now? Well, biblically, we are in the last days. We are in the days between uh, the, the ascension of the Son of God, like he came and died and rose, uh, and, and the return, the second coming of Christ. We're in the last days. We're between these, the, these two comings of Christ. This is where we sit. And I think it's important to, to, to say this is not religious theory. This is history, right? That Christ came, like he was born, and he lived, and he taught, and he revealed uh, God to us. And then he was executed by the Romans in the first century. 
You know, he was executed. And then three days later, he started breathing again. He rose from the dead. He spoke and taught for 40 days. Then he ascended to heaven in history. Like he went up and the clouds covered him. The disciples watched. And then like we saw last week, he promised, son of man is coming back. I'm gonna come back. And so in history, there's a time coming in history, right? When he will return to earth bodily, we will see him. And we're between those two. This is where we are. What time is it? It's the last days. And if we understand who Jesus is and the message of God, we, I think we will also be clamoring to get right with him if we aren't. Next, what's the fitting response? What is the fitting response? 13, at that time, some people came and reported to him about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mixed with their sacrifices. And he responded to them, do you think that these Galileans were more sinful than all the other Galileans because they suffered these things? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all perish as well. Or those 18 that the tower in Siloam fell on and killed, you think they were more sinful than all the other people who live in Jerusalem? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all perish as well. All right, some people come and they bring this up to Jesus at this time. Right, they bring it up. Hey, the, the, the people that Pilate murdered in the temple, they were, they were giving their sacrifices and Pilate murdered them and basically you know, put their blood on the sacrifice, like on the, the, the altar with their sacrifices. Horrible. Why are, they, why are they bringing this up right now? Why do they say this? Well, I think it fits in the context. I think Jesus has been talking about judgment. He's talking about the judgment of God. Um, and, and, uh, and, and I think they bring it up as an example of God's judgment. They're saying, oh yeah, Jesus. I, yeah, that reminds me of those Galileans, right? Who just got killed in Jerusalem. Pilate killed in Jerusalem. Yeah, they must have been really bad sinners and they sure got what they deserved, didn't they? Right, they were sinful and they sure paid for it. And this was a common belief, right? This was a common belief back then that if something, uh, if something catastrophic happened to you, if there, you, were, you had a disability or there was a catastrophe, right? Then you had done something to earn that. You'd done something to deserve it. Uh, you know, in, in John 9, when, when uh, there's a man who was born blind, what do the disciples ask? They say, who sinned, this man or his parents that he, he's blind like this? They just assumed it must have been his parents or him that sinned to deserve this. Jesus corrects them then and he corrects um, the, that belief now. He speaks against this, right? He says, oh, you think they were more sinful than all the other Galileans because that happened to them? No. It's like, no, they didn't deserve it more than anyone. But unless you repent, you will all perish as well. And then he brings up another recent catastrophe, another thing that had happened. You heard about those 18 people that the Tower of Siloam fell on. This, this part, was part of the wall of Jerusalem. Uh, this, they must have been working on it. Something happened and it fell and killed 18 people. He says, you think they were worse sinners than all the rest of the people in Jerusalem? No. And unless you repent, you will all perish as well. Now what's Jesus doing? Is, is he... Is he heartless here? Is he compassionless? Does he not care? No, right, no. We, we know from the gospels, Jesus is full of compassion. 
So, so what is he doing? Why does he respond this way? Well, I, I think he's responding to people who are trying to, to deflect the focus from themselves, right? He's been talking, this whole, cha- whole chapter 12, he's been talking to people, saying, like, putting in their face, how are you going to respond to God? How are you going to respond to God's message and to me as messenger? Like, what are you gonna do? Right? And, and I think these people come in and go, oh yeah, judgment. Like, those other people really deserve judgment. And he's like, no, 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 not those other people. Unless you repent, you're gonna perish. Right? He's not letting them deflect the focus from themselves. And I think one of the, one of the, we see one of the functions of catastrophes is that it should make us self-examine, should point us to self-examination. We, we should, when we, when we hear about things happen, when we hear about the earthquake in Turkey that killed thousands of people, right, well, one of the things we should think, right, we, should, when we should have compassion, we should pray, and, and we should be praying for that. But one of the things we should think is, man, Life is so fleeting. Life is so short. That could have been me. It's not like they deserved it more than we do. No, no, they, like that, this, this is the fleeting and the unpredictable nature of life in a fallen world. And Jesus says, you should look at yourself. And, and the right response, the fitting response is Repentance. Fitting response, if you know the time, if you, if you look, the, you should see and you should repent. You should, you should turn from sin to God. And that's what repentance is, turning from sin. So it's a change of heart, change of direction, a change of mind, turning from sin to God. And Jesus was calling the people of Israel to Repent. And we, and we might ask, okay, what's the fitting response for us then? Right? What, what's the fitting response for us in, in our time of history? Well, it, what gets us ready for the coming of Christ, the second coming? Repentance. It's the same. Repentance. Now, I think there's, there's some common misconceptions about repentance. I think, you know, we, we can say that, turning from sin, okay, that makes sense, but, but I think there's still ways that we, we, because of our upbringing or what we've heard or what we've, we've believed in the past, um, we, we can have misconceptions about this. Um, the, the first one, and I'm sure there's more, but I'm, I'm gonna talk about three. The, the first misconception uh, is that it's just the big things. It's just the big things. I think some, some people think um, that, that sin is like, you know, cheating on your spouse, uh, lying on your taxes, uh, you know, intentionally running over someone. Uh, like these are, the, these are the things, the big sins. And like, if I did those, yes, of course I would need to repent, you know. But I haven't, you know, run over anyone intentionally with my car this week. And so I don't really need to repent this week, right? Um, and and I, th- I think we have it. And there's some sort of like this external, we, we see sin as like this external, uh, these external actions, these things that, that you might do. But, but if, if you, if you, uh, you know, understand sin bi- biblically, this is a misconception of what sin is. Sin isn't just an external list of actions. It's a matter of the heart, right? Sin, sin is our motives, our desires, our passions, our intentions. It is those external things, but it's what leads to those external things, which is the heart, right? That's where it comes from. That's why, that's why you can actually stop doing some sin, but then usually another sin will pop up in your life because it's the same root in your heart. 
And even the Ten Commandments, I think we've talked about this recently, the Ten Commandments point to this, the last one. The Tenth Commandment is what? You shall not covet, which is not an external action. It happens all inside, in your heart, in your mind. Romans 12 says, uh, anything not done from faith is sin. Right? You, can, you can help an old lady across the street right? for the wrong motive. That's, uh, someone, someone would see you and think how awesome you are. And you know what? That's a sin. You can do the right thing with the wrong motive, and that's sin. David, David right, Psalm, what does he say? Uh, Cleanse me innocent from my hidden faults. He recognizes there's sin in me that I don't even know about. Right, sin is deeper, and, and we're more compromised than we know. Second common misconception is, I'm gonna call it clear the cue. Clear the cue, right? And this is the, the belief that if you're a Christian, and you, but you don't confess all of your sins, uh, you know, right before death, then you can, you can die with sin on your ledger and, and go to hell. Right, and I think this is a, obviously a Roman Catholic idea, uh, but more than that, I think, I think a lot of people kind of have this, this thought in their minds, like I better have a clear list, I better have a clear you know, cue before I, I uh, die. And I think this is a misconception both of sin and of the nature of God. Right, for, first of sin, it's like what we just talked about, sin is deeper than we know. It's like, okay, you're gonna confess all the sins that you know of, what about the ones you don't? And then, by the way, you're gonna confess all your sins and then you're gonna have another thought and is that gonna be a completely pure and holy thought? Probably not, so you're gonna have another sin to confess. Like, how do you, right, the Rome, uh, 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 Martin Luther, right, when he was a monk, before he, before he uh, you know, started the, the Protestant Reformation, he drove his, his monk friends crazy, right? Why? Because he was trying to confess every, he would spend hours and hours in confession trying to confess everything he could possibly think of and he could never get to the end of it. Right? It's, it's, a, it's a mistaken nature of sin, like you could confess them all. And, and second, it's a, it's a misconception of God and his grace. Like, if your view of God is that he's this cosmic policeman just waiting up, he's just up there waiting to blast you, you know? Like, he's just got a check, a, a, you know, a clipboard with all your sins on it, and he's just like, there's like 10 I haven't crossed off, you haven't confessed them. Hell. I mean, if that's your view of God, I mean, it's, it should be silly. We should laugh, like, that should not be, like, that's not God. <laughs> that's, not, that's not what he, he, that's not who he is. That's not how he reveals himself. Third, and the third misconception is that you only repent at the start. I think, I think people understand, yeah, you repent of your sins and trust Jesus, that's how you become a Christian. It is. Um, but, but then it's not like then you have to st stop repenting, right? Because you don't stop sinning. <laughs> you don't stop sinning. Now our relationship is completely changed with sin, right? We are, we, we are born in sin. We're born sinners, right? And when we come to Christ, he cleanses us. He makes us new. And we are, we are then new creations. We are saints. We're fundamentally not sinners anymore. But we do still struggle with sin, don't we? John says, if anyone says he has no sin, he's a liar. The truth is not in him. We have the old man, the flesh still in us. And so we will still struggle with sin. And we, so we will still need to repent. Turn from that sin. Put it to death. Turn to God. 
Martin Luther's first uh, of his theses, right? When our Lord and Master Jesus Christ said, repent, he willed the entire life of believers to be one of repentance. We are constantly turning from sin, confessing it to God and those we've wronged, and turning to God. Repentance and confession, they, they always go together, don't they? And some of you uh, struggle to confess and repent to God and others. Maybe I should say some of us struggle. Maybe you don't ever really. You don't ever really own your sin. Take responsibility for it. It's, it's, it's human nature. This is all of our inclination is to, to point the finger, right? Point at other people. When, when something goes wrong, when we're caught, when we know we've done wrong, we, we want to say, but it's their fault. But if they wouldn't have put me in that situation, I wouldn't have responded that way. Right? They don't think the right things. They don't do the right things. They aren't sensitive to my needs. They are selfish. They're proud. Right? They're, they're, they're the problem. They're in the wrong. Listen, and, and Jesus doesn't take any sin lightly. He doesn't excuse other people's sin. No, no, no. It's not to say that. But, but like he turns them back in this passage to themselves, right? You think they're more sinful than you? No, unless you repent, you'll perish. I think he, he points us back to ourselves. Right? Unless you repent, you'll perish in the same way. Right? I think you are your biggest problem. I am my biggest problem. And, and if that's you if, you, if you really don't and you struggle to repent, you struggle to confess your sins to God, to others, then, then perhaps, and I wonder, if you don't really understand the grace of Jesus. I, I wonder... And I don't, mean, I don't mean mentally assent to it, but I mean, you don't know it. Know it, feel it deep in your bones. It's true. Do you believe that Jesus died for your sin? And I don't mean like theoretically, but I mean like the time that you lost your temper last week, the lustful thought you had this morning That thing you said to your coworker, you shouldn't have. Did he die for that sin? Do you, do you trust him that, that you can stand before God clear eyed with a head held high because you're forgiven in Christ? Do you trust that Jesus really took your punishment, right? That, that if you confess your sins, he is faithful and he's just to forgive you, to cleanse you. That, that it's actually justice for God to forgive you because Christ has paid all of your, your payment. It's not like he just lets you off and still, you know, he just lets you off the hook, but he, you still owe him. No, 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 you don't owe him anything. You're free,
Do you believe that Jesus actually loves you? Isn't it crazy that that's like the simplest thing, but it's the hardest thing even for Christians to believe? I don't think that if you experience the grace of God, if you know the love of Christ like this, that you can be a person who doesn't say, when you mess up, say, I'm so sorry. Please forgive me. I don't know how you can be, how you can be forgiven, receive the grace of Christ, and then go, no, I gotta be strong. I can't show any weakness. <laughs> like, we're all weak. That's the thing. We're all weak. Maybe you need to repent and confess something to your family today. Maybe you just need to gather everyone together when you get home. Guys, I gotta tell you something. Maybe you need to have a conversation with your spouse later. Maybe you need to call a friend on the phone. Your boss, maybe, a coworker. I don't know. Who's, who's the Holy Spirit bringing to your mind? If you're thinking of someone and then you're thinking, oh, no, no, I don't have to. Like, that's probably the Holy Spirit bringing that person up in your mind. And I hope you will take that step. What is, what is true confession and repentance? Right, maybe this will be a little practical. I think just so we're all on the same page. Um, and this is a, a tool that, that uh, Pastor Barry uses. I got it from him. Um, it's, it's, uh, it's called the seven A's. Seven A's of, of biblical confession or confession and repentance. Um, it's by Ken Sandy, who's an author, Christian author. Uh, but I think these are really good, right? This, this kind of is a, is a, a framework for, for confession. Um, so the first A is address. Address everyone involved, right? So it's not just God, right? It's not just God that we have to confess to. It's whoever we heard, whoever was in, maybe it's everyone on that text message thread, right? Maybe it's everyone who was in the cubicle at the office that when you said that, whatever it is, everyone involved. Avoid, number two, avoid uh, if, but, and maybe. This might be the most important one, right? This ruins a confession if you say, I'm sorry if I hurt you. Not a confession. Ruins it, doesn't it? I'm sorry if I hurt your feelings. I'm sorry I did that, but if you wouldn't have, you know, done that, then I wouldn't have been, I wouldn't have said that. No, 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 <laughs> that's not a confession. Right? You own it, you own it. Three, admit, admit specifically. Right, it's not just, I'm sorry I hurt you. Right? I'm sorry, I'm sorry you're mad. No, 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 I'm sorry that when you came home, you walked in, the first thing I said to you was such and such, right? Be, be specific. Four, acknowledge the hurt. Acknowledge the hurt. Acknowledge that, that what your actions hurt someone else. Again, don't use if or but or maybe, right? Think about it, empathize, put yourself in the other person's shoes and go, when I said that, I know it hurt you. I know it hurt you. Five, accept, accept the consequences. 
right? Accept the consequences of your actions. Maybe, there's, maybe there are consequences that you, may, like you need to go make it right with someone else. You need to go clarify something that you told someone that wasn't true. You need to pay for something that you broke. I don't know what it is, but accept the consequences of your, of your, of your actions. I, I know this is my fault. I'm gonna do what I can to make it right. Six, alter your behavior. Alter your behavior, right? If you, if you, if you uh, still plan to do the same sin over and over, like if you, if you don't plan to change it, then you're not really confessing. You don't really want to change. And so maybe this is saying, man, the next time this happens, here's how I, I want to respond. Here's, here's the kind of the things I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to think about. And lastly is, is ask. Ask for forgiveness. Right, ask. You, you do say, but would you please forgive me? I think some people skip that. Would you, you to ask, like, like, like my kids are always, we have this, this conversation. It's like, it's easier to say, I'm sorry, right, than to say, would you please forgive me for saying this, or for doing this? It's harder, but it's important. And allow time, maybe that's an eighth A, uh, but allow time. Right? You, can't, you can't demand forgiveness. Forgiveness is not demanding. It's like, please forgive me. Will you forgive me right now? No, 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 that's not, that's not it, right? I, I hope that you'll be able to forgive me. And listen, if you go through all of these things, if you, if you do hit these, these points, then probably that person will forgive you right then. If you're showing remorse over your sin, you're, you're owning it, and you're genuinely just asking for forgiveness, you want to change, and people will usually forgive you. But they may not, they may need time, and that's okay. You can't control them. Right, this is confession. This is repentance. It's always painful, right? It's never fun. Um, it always hurts, but, but it leads to life leads to life. And I think as a church, it's important to say that, that repentance starts with us. First Peter 4, it says, judgment begins with the household of God. Right? We, the, our, our attitude should not be, man, we're the holy ones and the world out there, they're the sinful ones. They need to repent. Wow, of course, are people sinful? Yes, do they repent? Of course, right? But, but no, that's not what, because we, we need to repent, right? We need to, as, as the church, we need to set the tone in repentance, right? We, we, I don't think we should have a lot of time to, to be looking out and fighting the sin all out there because there's plenty of sin in here to fight, right? We've got enough of our own, don't we? We need to set the tone with this. And, and, and I just don't know that there's another option. Like, the, like the, I just don't, there's not churches that are like, well, we're, but we're a pretty holy church, so we don't really have to have a culture of repentance here. <laughs> no, like we, we aren't. Like we are all, we all struggle with indwelling sin. We're not strong. Like, like do you think your pastors are just these strong people that, are, that don't sin and never have to repent? I know them. They're not. Right? They know me. They know I'm not. Right? We, we are not strong people that don't have to repent. We, we are people who are need the grace of God and all we have is him. Right? All we have is Christ. I'll, I'll pick on, on Pastor Chris, Chris Beach. Uh, several times after elder meetings, we, you know, we meet every week as elders to get together and pray for you and talk and, and be in the scriptures. And uh, several times after elder meetings, you know, Chris, about 30 minutes later, he'll call me. Hey, 
I know we were talking and I, I said this and I, I was just convicted. I don't know if, I didn't want you to take it this way. I didn't mean it this way. Uh, and, and always, always, and he's sitting there, but always, never have I been offended. Never have I took it, taken it. I'm always like, Chris, there's nothing to forgive. You're forgiven. But thank you, but thank you so much for asking, right? Because what, what is he modeling? He's just modeling, he just wants to be, have a short records. He just wants, if there's anything at all, please forgive me, Right? That's wonderful. And we, we, we need to have a culture of repentance in our church. It leads, what, it leads to peace. Doesn't it lead to peace when, when everyone can go, yeah, I need forgiveness. I need grace. Would you forgive me? And the other people love them enough to go, yes, forgive you. Repentance starts with us. Lastly, how much time do we have? How much time do we have? And I don't mean in the sermon. What a rude question to ask a preacher while he's preaching. Come on, guys. <clears throat> How much time do we have? Verse six, and he told this, them this parable. A man had a fig tree that was planted in his vineyard. He came looking for fruit on it and found none. He told the vineyard worker, listen, for three years, I've come looking for fruit on this fig tree and haven't found any. Cut it down. Why should it even waste the soil? But he replied to him, sir, Leave it this year also until I dig around it and fertilize it. Perhaps it will produce fruit next year. But if not, you can cut it down. Now the vineyard owner comes to, to a vineyard. He's given this tree that he's planted, this fig tree, um, three years to produce. It should have produced. This thing, he's come through for three years looking for fruit and there's no fruit on it. So he says to, to the one who tends it, to, the, to his, his employee, hey, just cut it down. We're gonna, we'll, we'll start over, uh, put a new tree here that's gonna bear fruit. Uh, and the worker says, no, just, let's just give it a little time. Just wait, wait a year. I'll fertilize it. I'll take care of it, especially this year. And we'll see if it can bear fruit. If not, in a year from now, let, let's cut it down. What, what does this mean? What's, what's this story about? Well, commentators will tell you that um, th this is a parable about Israel, right? Israel is the fig tree. They haven't been bearing fruit. They haven't been living in repentance. And why, why hasn't God judged them? Why hasn't he taken them out? Well, perhaps Jesus is the worker, right? Perhaps he's the worker. And in this moment, right, when he's teaching, when he's doing his ministry, this, this, these years of his ministry, um, he's, he's fertilizing, he's watering, he's, he's giving people another chance, isn't he? He's reaching out, he's telling them, he's revealing God to them, telling them what God requires of them, that they should repent. He's pleading with them. And this is the patience of God, right? This is the patience of God. Second Peter 3, 9 says, the Lord does not delay his promise as some understand delay, but is patient with you, not wanting any to perish, but all to come to Repentance. The patience of the Lord is that he doesn't end it now. Right? This is his mercy. Now, did Israel repent? We can ask, looking back now, we can say, did they repent? No. In large part, they didn't. In, in God's plan, they, they rejected Jesus, didn't they? They crucified him. And through that, God brought the whole world in. He brought in the Gentiles. But Jesus, at the end of chapter 13, we'll see, he laments over Jerusalem, 
right? He laments, he said, I wanted to gather you together, but you wouldn't come. And in Luke 21, later on in the book, um, we'll see that, that Jesus predicts the destruction of the temple. He says it's, there's not gonna be one stone on top of each other. It's gonna be raised. And, and in AD 70, um, you know, about 40 years, 35 years after this, after this was spoken, uh, the Romans did destroy Jerusalem. Right? They came in, they crushed the rebellion, they, they burned the whole city, they tore down the temple and scattered the Jews. Now, what, what do we learn here? Well, I think one thing we can learn is that things going well in your life doesn't necessarily mean the pleasure of God. Doesn't mean his, his approval of you. Right, God is merciful and patient. Right, he, he, could he end it all right now? Yes, he could. And think of the evil in the world, right? And the, the atrocities that have been committed and that are being committed. Why doesn't he just end it? Why doesn't he come and just come back like he says he will? Because of his mercy. There's, there's still time to repent. Bad things, catastrophes should lead us to self-examination and to repentance. And good things, good events should lead us to thank God that, that he, has, he has mercy and it should lead us to bear fruit in keeping with repentance. Just because God hasn't yet acted in judgment doesn't mean he's not about to. The worker says, give it one year and then you can cut it down. Right? He doesn't say, no, don't cut it down. We're gonna save all the trees and they can, they can last for as long as they need, right? No, 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 there's a time limit. We're gonna give them this long and then, and then if they don't bear fruit, it's over. And then that's the, the gist of, of 57 uh, through, through 59, right? The, the end of, of chapter 12. The judge, like when they're gonna drag you before the judge, what's the point of that? Like settle quickly. Like get, get, make, like make the deal, like get it done uh, because you don't know when you're gonna stand before the judge. And just think of the reality of where we are. Right? We are in the, in the last days, as we've said. The time is coming to a close. We, we are closer now to his return than we've ever been. And further, we, we, don't we all stand on the knife's edge of eternity? Right, you and everyone you know will die. Right? And, and now or later, like in, from the view of eternity, whether you die next year of a heart attack or in 80 years from a heart attack, from eternity's perspective, it's the same, isn't it? Life is so short, it's such a vapor. And I'm not trying to be fatalistic here, I'm just trying to be realistic. Like, this is not, we know this, right? People die, like this is what happens. And, so, and secular people in, in the world right now will tell you not to think about this kind of thing. Just distract yourself, whatever you, but don't think about those kind of bigger questions. Because there, there's nothing that happens, there's nothing after death. Right, which is just an amazing thing to assume. Isn't it? Because they, they can't prove that. What do you, well, prove it. How do you know there's nothing after that? Well, I, just, I don't think there could be. So you just believe in it on faith. There's nothing after death. Right, to me, the more reasonable thing 
is to think about reality deeply. Think about our situation. Like, don't distract yourself. Like, like don't, don't just be on your phone. Like, no, put your phone down and deal with your existence. And, and I'm saying, based on Jesus' words, right, the only one who has died and risen from the dead, he's, he's the expert on death, right, being the one who beat it. He came through death, and what he says is that after death, there's a judgment, And he also says, you can be ready for that judgment. And the way to be ready is to repent. How much time do we have? We don't know. But we're in the last days and we know that his patience will not last forever. And doesn't this make evangelism a priority for the people of God? If we know what time it is, if we have this good news, how can we just sit on it? We can't. It's got to get out. It's got to get out to every tribe, every tongue, every people, every nation. The whole world needs to hear of this. Interesting thing, um, in, uh, in the other interesting thing about the, the people bringing up to him this, these Galileans that Pilate murdered in Jerusalem was, of course, that Jesus is a Galilean, and of course, he's on his way to Jerusalem. And when he gets there, Pilate will murder him. Right? This is this is what he came to do. This was his mission that he came to accomplish. Right, and, and he didn't die by Pilate's hand because he was more sinful than anyone. In fact, he wasn't sinful. He's the only one who didn't deserve it. But he took our sin on himself and he submitted to a brutal and torturous death. And then he rose from the dead. He's alive today and, and he may be speaking to you and if you're here today and you don't know the Lord, you don't know Jesus, you don't, you don't walk with him, you're not a Christian, you'd say, I wonder what Jesus would say to you. I think he might say something like this. You watch the radar and see a storm coming and you know it's gonna rain. Or you open your weather app and see the temperature and you see it's gonna be warm, so you put on shorts for the day. But if you aren't right with God... What lunacy is this, (laughs) right? You're savvy enough to see the signs of the weather and to prepare for that, but but you haven't planned for the most important time coming, which is eternity, right? But most of our existence will be after death, right? Like that's the that's the most important thing. That's that's all of our lives later, and you haven't planned for that. Like you're just going to say, "I don't know." I don't really care what happens. You don't care what happens forever? If you die in a car wreck on the way home today, which is a possibility, and God forbid, it is a possibility, what will happen to your eternal soul?
If you don't know, won't you figure it out? Like, won't you come talk to us? Can't we, can't we discuss this? Can't we work through it? If that's you, we, we love you. <laughs> we love you. We're praying for you. We're praying that God would soften your heart and would lead you to repentance and you would see his love and see his kindness. Because if you won't repent, you're running out of time. Let's pray. I want to give you a moment just to to pray yourself in your seat. I don't know what God's doing in your heart, what he's leading you to from his word, but, but take a moment to be with him. He's here. encourage you if you want to talk to someone if, if God's just working in your heart and you just need you need to talk to someone you need prayer then go back to the back we've got prayer team I see Amy I see Travis back there they would love to pray with you Lee's back there feel free to head back now feel free to head back as we sing they'd love to speak with you Father, you're so good to us. You're so good that that (laughs) you made a way. Uh, You paid the price for our sins so that we can come to you in in repentance, confession. Lord, you you made that possible. So would you lead us there? Would you lead us low? Would you break our hearts? Would we be, as James said, be wretched and mourn and weep? Lord, whatever is in the dark uh, in this room, whatever people uh, are holding on to, whatever we, we won't bring to the light, whatever we, uh, we the, the things that we, we, we are hiding, would you bring those out? Would you reveal them? So there can be healing, so there can be life. Lord, would we set the tone in repentance in seeking you and humbling ourselves before you? And would, would your spirit pour out on this place and on, on our people, on, on the Tomball, on the community, on Houston? And would you bring many to repent? 
Would you bring your lost sheep home? Would you redeem your children? Would you make us ready for that? We love you, Lord. We need you. We need you. Amen.